Hey everyone, it's Raghu. I'm back with Ramdas here and now in this new episode. It's like a distant echo of the origin of the name of this podcast. So uh, that's amazing. But wait, first, I just gotta uh, again thank BetterHelp and the way in which uh, y- people can get therapeutic help through them when it's very difficult. And as I've said before, uh, there's so much stress on us all that uh, having uh, an online uh, therapy session is uh, very much serves us. So betterhelp.com and uh, just go there. They actually get with you and, and, and you through whatever the needs are or the uh, themes are of what uh, you need help with, they match that up. So they're really, really great. Yeah, and uh, talk about um, aligned values, betterhelp.com. And then I want to just mention uh, we are, again, it's the uh, 2022 edition of... Ramdas's Soul Land Music Series. Okay, we've got that happening starting April 1. This is 2022 through, uh, there's four sessions on four, four different Fridays. Uh, just go to ramdas.org slash music and you'll see uh, exactly what the lineup is and how we're going to do it. You know, we do this wonderful thing where they do a performance, the artists, that, uh, and it's all connected to consciousness and sometimes directly with Ramdas, where they use audio of Ramdas. And, uh, and then there's Q&A after, interactive thing on social media and through our website. So it's a wonderful uh, opportunity to get with some just fantastic musicians. Gone Gone Beyond is going to be there. And that's a, a new love of mine. Uh, they're, they're really wonderful. And my old oldest and one of my closest people from the uh, satsang in the old days, Jai Utah, uh, who this is, he's returning. Um, the first one of us that is returning, us meaning all of us creatives, uh, that is returning for the second time because Jai is just an extraordinary combination of consummate, consummate musicianship as well as a giant devotional heart. I mean, Jai is one of a kind. Mike Posner, right? He had some great pop hits. And uh, I had a conversation with him a couple of months ago and said, look, why don't you come on? You know, we have a lot to talk to. He's totally into the spiritual path. Love him. Wa, who I have not uh, seen in quite some time, but she was part of Krishnadas' ensemble back in the day and now does a wonderful thing on her own and has for many years. And Karnamrita, these are just examples, a more incredible kirtan uh, music from Karnamrita. Um, so I'm re- we're really happy about this. This is uh, it's going to be fun and uh, a great time. So there you go. That's it for the uh, reminders. So this podcast is features an excerpt of Ramdas when he was doing radio. This is just, I think it's about a year before the stroke happened. 
And he did a thing, the name of the show, I think it's KPFK, maybe it was in LA, I'm not sure, Radio with Heart. And in fact, Jai is the theme music. <laughs> Jai Utah is the theme music. Um, and so, of course, what, and Ramdas introduces it himself and he goes, Welcome to Here and Now. And I didn't even know. I don't remember when we chose this name for Ramdas's podcast. If we went, yeah, let's do it as an extension of of the stuff he was doing on the radio. Who knows? Maybe. Anyhow, he. This is great. Uh, there's a whole. There's a Q and A stuff. Obviously, people are calling in and asking for help on a, a number of different subjects, such as, since I'm talking about it, social action, relationships, racism. Finding a Guru, that's an interesting one. Uh, the last is, is uh, I'm going to save it for the end. It's just, it has to be a closer. Okay. <laughs> uh, chronological time, Ramdas talks about how as he got older, you know, he, what did he say? This is great. Uh, up to when he was, I've heard him say this before, up to when he was 50 years old, he thought he was 14. Is that familiar out there? I think so. Uh, psychological time, uh, well, that is psychological time. Of course, uh, chron chronological time, uh, yeah, it's, it's days, hours and days and months and years go by and your whole life is measured exclusively that way. Um, but then he said after 50, he started feeling like a, a more of a, a grown-up and um, he... Um, the bottom line is it's about be here now. He talks about being able to inhabit the moment and stop thinking so much about the past or the future and relating in that chronological way that we all do because we are subject to the vicissitudes of humanness. Um, so, yeah, more and more, he, had, uh, he was inhabiting each moment E oh, here's it. Even the sad moments. Even the sad moments. Isn't that right? Um, so this is a, uh, yeah, it's a wonderful thing in the beginning uh, before people start phoning in with questions around, you know, uh, basically it comes to the idea of chronological time, psychological time, and the timeless moment, which is a book that I think Laura Huxley wrote, The Timeless Moment. Um so basically, it's, it's, as he puts it, a sense of continuity of life. Uh, you know, we all have the depth of the truth of who we are, called the soul by some, and moving through karma. When I first met Neem Karoli Baba, this just dawns on me, I, one of the thoughts I had, aside from, oh shit, I've known you forever, beyond the f rational forever, like, and then it was, um, well, it was, <laughs> was that what Ramdas was all about? I see. But it was also, in a way, it was the end. I knew, okay, from now on, I could, conscious, as conscious as I can be in any moment, work off the karma, see the karma as working through the way it needs to work through. And that's, that's rare, okay? Most of the time, I'm deeply enmeshed in it, let's be truthful, but there are times when, and in that moment, I totally saw it. Of course, that's a little bit easier. Um, 
and and moving towards the identity with the one and the pure awareness, the totality of pure awareness, and uh, but still maintaining the fact that we are human and we go through a chronological uh, view, perspective, psychological, chronological. And um, as Ramdas said a billion times, we can live on more than one plane of consciousness at the same time. I think that's one of the most important things he's ever said, really. Just, you know, it's a good thing to contemplate, that's for sure. Okay, this is the last question that came up, uh, and here's here's the characterization that I picked up. It was this, quote-unquote, truth not rooted in the deception of... Truth is that which is not rooted in the deception of the fear of death. The deception of the fear of death. Okay, now we're going to leave that with you for contemplation and uh, reflection, okay? That this is a good uh, meditation thought, uh, I think. So this is Ramdas Here and Now on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and one fantastic podcast over another. We've got this great psychedelic podcast going with Madison Margolin. Um, of course, Alan Watts has been with us for a year now, a little over a year, and that's been amazing. Um, I love what I do at Mind Rolling. I get a chance. I just, just, it's so rich to get the chance to chat with all sorts of people in, in, in on the path, basically on the path, trying to do what Ramdas I just described. You know, for us all to get into that still contented place of pure awareness. So go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and we'll see you next week or every couple of weeks. Ramdas is returning to Los Angeles just to talk to KPFK listeners. And this is Radio with Heart. This is Talk Radio with Heart. This is Here and Now with Ram Dass. Talk Radio from the Heart. And uh, Roy has once again invited me to play here at the studio for a few hours. And I think that's extremely generous of him. The last two times I've been here have been such an absolute delight. Just feels like hanging out with old family friends. And it seems very um, easy and familiar and comfortable. So, I'll talk for a little while. Maybe then you'll call in and say hello. The number, by the way, is 818-985-5735. Probably most of you know that already. I was having dinner with uh, Jai a little while ago, and Jai is my 
guru brother and he's my friend and uh, he's the my executive producer and we move in and out of many roles he's a musician who is uh, leads very beautiful devotional kirtan and uh, I asked him what he suggested we open with tonight, and he said, well, it's the new year, and it's usually uh, time to think about what the year has been like. And he said, what's it been like for you? What stands out for you? And I, um, I tried to think about events or occurrences and but i knew that there was something that wasn't feeling quite right on and uh and i brought up a few i mean i've worked hard on my book this year and and uh i've had interesting adventures and surgery on my shoulder and all these kinds of things and i could remember events but i realized that what has happened is that as the years have gone by, and this year more than previous years, I don't seem to be living very much in any time frame. That I've gone from a great preoccupation years ago with chronological time, with getting older, with wanting to be older and then being afraid of being older, with all of the measures of... Um, of my watch and my calendar and all of those images of months passing and years rushing by and things like that and happy new year and celebration and a critical moment at midnight and waiting for the millennium and all of these kinds of chronological measures and it was interesting because all the time that was going on Lurking inside me was another time dimension, which was really psychological time, in which I was, well, I think up until the time I was about 50, I really psychologically thought I was about 14 or 30, something like that. And uh, then I psychologically matured sort of late in life and began to be, uh, be my age. And I suddenly felt that I was a grown-up. Up until then, I really felt that, uh, you know, I'd look around a room after I got to know people and I'd wonder where all the grown-ups were because we all seemed like children, psychologically, even though uh, we were of all ages, chronologically. Uh, and then over the years, this other dimension of um, timelessness, Laura Huxley has a wonderful book title called This Timeless Moment. And it was a quality of an increasing feeling of timelessness in my moment-to-moment -moment life and I look now back over this year and I realize that what has been deepening in me is this um, quiet inner um, it's not suspended animation it's very alive and moving but um, time is something within it rather than circumscribing it and more and more i feel myself just in each moment and like um what were the happy moments and what were the sad moments 
certainly I can find those things, but I notice that even the sad moments are really pretty interesting, as are the happy moments. And the thickness of the, f or the fullness of the moment is present or is, is real, whether it's sad or happy or I'm going somewhere or coming from somewhere or I don't know whether I'm coming or going or <clears throat> going to sleep or waking up or working or being frustrated or driving the car or shopping or <sighs> hanging out or looking at television or making love or whatever it is one does with one's life, having important meetings, um, all of it are just these events, but they seem to all be happening now or in this moment. And to the extent that these even come up for me historically, they are now present in my consciousness now. And it's interesting because living in that kind of timeless, um, spaceless, really, because you're always here, and it's always now, living in that changes the nature of relationships because to the extent that you know somebody for a moment fully in the here and now, every time you think of them, the here and now again. I mean, the, the coming and going and the sharing of time and space in the chronological sense and the physical sense of space ceases to be figure and it becomes ground. And the figure is just this. It's just the presence, the isness, the, the fullness of awareness. And I mean, I can see my incarnations. I, I don't see the past incarnations and future incarnations, but I have a sense of some kind of continuity. And I feel my soul is in time working out karma and just sort of drifting along moving more and more towards its identity with um, with the one, with the totality, with just dissolving into pure awareness. And yet I see that the more I dissolve into this, the more I am still quite unique and still in chronological time and psychological time. And that's interesting. It's like I didn't lose anything. I just keep enriching or adding dimensions to it. And that's very, very, um, that's kind of delicious to me. So I don't know what will happen. Somebody said, what will you do New Year's Eve? And I said, well, I will probably go to bed. And then I'll wake up and then it'll be 1997. It's interesting, I've been working on uh, a um, manuscript around the issue of aging. And uh, that's an interesting one in and of itself because aging is such a, it's a kind of a bad concept in our culture. It's kind of got rather terrible images of loss and of irrelevance and so on. And uh, chronologically now, my body is 65 years old. I've been in this incarnation for 65 years. And I've also had my MG since 1979. It's a 73. 
So I look at my car as uh, 23 years old. Now I'm going on 24 years old. And I look at my body as 65 years old. And I kind of look at them a, a little bit in the same way. They are these wonderful vehicles that I try to take care of and that they support me and they move me from here to there. And they're kind of, you know, they break down and, and they have sort of stress, fatigue, and all the kind of stuff that cars and bodies get. And I can anticipate that it will get more and more complex and interesting and dramatic and changing until finally uh, I will probably uh, sell the MG and drop the body. And it's interesting, that whole image that they talk about in India of dropping your body. It's as if the body was something that you used, honored, took care of, and saw as, I mean, to, saw as part of your, your incarnation, part of your vehicle, part of your temple. And I've been feeling more and more <laughs> compassion towards my body and more and more feeling like it's time to honor it, to give it space, take care of it. And not because I'm so interested in longevity, in living longer and longer and longer. Rather, I'm... Hmm, I would like to do what I can to live what years remain um, in as uh, healthy a condition as possible. I feel I owe it to the temple to take care of it. And then, I mean, it will break down. And uh, I hope my awareness will be of good cheer in that process because there's as much to learn from the breakdown as there is from the functioning perfectly. And there is as much use of that experience as a vehicle to come into freedom of awareness as any other experience. So I'm not... Um, for a while, years ago, when I was busy being preoccupied with chronological age, I watched how, as the years went by, they went faster and faster and faster. And you could say, well, it's a smaller part of your life and there's all that kind of thing. But I, I noticed that now they don't go either fast or slow. In fact, they don't seem to go. And so sitting here with you in this kind of timeless moment, thank you, Laura, I just feel... Uh, at home, at home. And I think it's fun for you and I to meet in more than one of these planes of consciousness simultaneously. So that we meet in chronological time. It's 1216 on December 31st. This is the last day of the year. Is that important? And psychologically, 
We are wherever each of us is psychologically about our age or time. And then beyond that, behind it all, ah, here we are. So I see many lights on the telephone call-in board. Cheryl, good evening. Hello. Hello, Cheryl. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for being there. Why, thank you, Cheryl. I heard, I first started hearing you in 1980 when Ram Dass played your um, Living Consciously in the 80s. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a whole weekend seminar you gave, and so I stayed up every week yeah. all night. Uh-huh. Anyway, it brought me out of a deep depression at that time. Mm. Because, nice. uh, well, partly, I've been a political activist most of my life, mm. and um, I, I had gotten really discouraged then. And I've, I've always wanted to help... Um, transform the society, make a better future. Mm. Um, what I think, I think people have, some people have created a nightmare for us, and or we're all part of that. And um, in the last few years, I've been uh, feeling strongly that, and, and, I, and I have these visions for, you know, some of how we can transform things like reconnect with nature and bring, you know, and, and I had gotten reconnected with the plants and the trees and, and, and how things um, really operate on a spiritual and, and um, nature level between people and nature. It's a very powerful relationship, and I... I um, feel like that's just part of a vision that I have, and I just think we have the people have uh, quite a power in rethinking and in visualizing the way we want to live or the way we want, and that that can we can help create it. In other words, I'm not sure I'm saying this right, but you're saying it beautifully. I mean, I hear every component of what you're saying about our relationship to nature and the desire on your part to heal and to transform and realizing the possibility of how it could be and seeing how much human consciousness is the issue. As that changes, it all changes. And realizing that how you interact with the universe depends on your own human consciousness, so you work on your own human consciousness as your offering in terms of your relation to plants and nature and vision and visioning. And uh, I think that f- us figuring out how to relate our inner awakenings to our identity as members of communities of whether they're eco-communities or social communities or whichever community we're part of many different ones Mm -hmm. cosmic communities and how do we impeccably fulfill our role and our identity in each of these things yeah that's the question (laughs) yeah well you tune it's a tuning process at least i find it is i find that i don't have a fixed model of how but from moment to moment i listen freshly Mm-hmm. And freshly, at this moment, there is something to do. 
there's this. There might be a telephone call to make. There may be a protest to make. There may be a letter to write. There may be a hand to hold. There may be a, a food kitchen to, uh, to people. There may be uh, a smile to give. There may be a, a meditation to hold, to be quiet enough to bring more peace into the universe. And it's interesting when you don't associate a fixed action with social action for the well-being, but trust your intuitive sense from moment to moment to listen to how to manifest. And I can hear you growing through the years of wanting to serve and going from the frustration back in the 80s that led you to depression because it gets very frustrating if you're attached to the outcome too strongly. Uh -huh. And I still am. <laughs> uh, well, join the club. I mean, most of us are. But you begin to see that that attachment to the outcome is ultimately creating incredible suffering. And it doesn't make you do the thing any better. Yeah. That's what's far out. Yeah. You're uh, wonderful. Thank you, my dear. Nice talking to you. Okay, thank you. Okay. Bye. Judy, good evening. Judy, hi. Um, hi. You know, I, I'm I'm kind of a non-believer, and this is the second time I've heard you, and everyone's talked about you for so long. I guess I'm a little bit of a cynic, but um, so I'm sorry I don't have a lot of um, wonderful history to to share with you about my my knowing you. But I like the sound of your voice, and I I think there's a sincerity there, but. I guess I wanted you to maybe talk about the, the struggle to find fulfilling romantic relationship. Um, but in the long run, I guess we're still... Uh, it seems like your, your talk about not looking for the outcome seems to be a real important part of almost everything. And I don't know how to really do that when you have an intense emotional feeling. <laughs> it seems almost like it, you're forfeiting the beauty of that that feeling, in a way, by not looking at the outcome. And uh, um, it seems to me that when we really um, um, grow into more and more of our potential, we realize that we can do more than one thing simultaneously, that we can, at the same moment, be involved in relationship with its beauty and its scariness and its all of its stuff and do it in a way quite passionately and that would have in it much attachment to outcome and at the same moment have another perspective that's deep within us that sees that all as part of the the dance of life that has in you a quietness a kind of a a perspective that is always there also and it doesn't mean that you don't forfeit one for the other you i think a conscious the more conscious you are, the more you're capable of living on both of those planes simultaneously. And so when we go to relationship, within the plane of relationship in which you are a person with desires and needs and fears and loneliness and hope and joy and passion and pleasure and pain, often what you meet in another human heart is a like a relationship I often think of it is as if you found in another human heart a key that opened your own being to a much deeper part of your own being 
Well, that sounds ideal. Well, uh, that when you say, I've fallen in love with him or I've fallen in love with her, another way of saying it is he or she is the key to opening my heart so that I can come into a place of love. And often when you love somebody, it changes your perception of the world and you actually feel differently towards everything when you're in love. Now, the predicament is that if, you're, if you are open to that place in yourself through somebody else, you get very attached to your method of getting into that place in yourself because you're so hungry to be in love, to feel that feeling. Uh, is that all? Am I being yeah, clear? Yeah, that's, that's true, although I think that that phase does change. I think it does change also. And hopefully, one of the directions it changes is that you recognize that what that relationship is doing is opening you to a place in yourself which you may not have previously had access to without that connection to another person. And it is possible to start to acknowledge and live in that space in yourself so that you don't need other people to awaken you to it, then the relationships with other people is, is much more celebratory in a way. It's the two of you celebrating that space together. But it doesn't have the hunger and needfulness that uh, most relationship story has connected with it. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Kevin, hello. Hello. Hi. Hi, Ram Das. Um, I have a question um, for you uh, regarding racism and sort of the spiritual, your spiritual cure uh, for it. Um, I'm of I'm of mixed, um, what people call mixed race, I guess. Um, my mother's Haitian and my father's Irish and. Uh, I, it's a great combination. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty <laughs> funky. And I just, you know, I I tried meditating a couple of times, and um, I noticed when I did meditate and I really practiced, sort of all of my cultural, um, you know, input of how I'm supposed to treat other people in terms of their race and the society sort of went by the wayside. And, and I just kind of accepted people because I was kind of secure inside myself a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just wanted to you know, get your take on, on that because... I think that's great. I mean, I hear just what you're saying. And the deeper we go in ourselves, the more we see individual differences. We can celebrate individual differences without being preoccupied by them right. or without discriminating between people on the basis of them. I mean, I, uh, I really hear the opportunity we have in this society to celebrate, um, in, to celebrate uniqueness without being trapped by it. And uh, I mean, you having that cross-ethnic ancestry have a really uh, good opportunity to feel your way into two traditions and to feel the richness of the interplay of those forces through your parents and through within yourself, actually. And I, I, 
When I look at people, I mean, I see people sort of dressed in different skins and having different genetic backgrounds and so on. But the, when I look inside, I see another being just like me looking out from in there. And I feel like saying, are you in there? I'm in here. <laughs> Far out. How did you get into that one? <laughs> uh, I just get caught up, you know, within all the confusion of, of other people's kind of trips, you know, and, and how they perceive me. And, you know, people always ask me, what are you? Yeah, what are you? Yeah. You know, and I'm just, and then the <laughs> next one is, what's your nationality? Yeah. I say, I'm American. That's the nation I was born in. You've got to get to the point where you're not at all defensive about any of it. That's what people, I guess I, know. I come across that way, but it's just that it's constantly, you know, that way. You get way. to the point where you begin to see that the the need for people to label you based on your individual difference or uniqueness is the way their mind works, and you don't really have to buy it. And when you push against it, you're buying it just as much as when you agree to it. Oh. So it just gets to the point where you see their minds doing that thing, and you feel compassion because you understand how they get caught in thinking that's all very important. And you're learning how to... And, I mean, I would be a, delighted to say I'm Haitian, I'm Irish, I'm also an American, I'm a man, I'm a this, I'm a that. Right. And I think delight in all the roles and identities rather than feeling that somehow what they're asking is a judgmental quality. And if they are, that's their judgment. You don't have to buy it at all. Would you, would you say that, that meditation, in a way, is a, is a cure for a lot that ails us in terms of like racism? And I think that when you quiet down and bring your awareness into a quieter space, you see a deeper part of your identity that has no connection, that is not rooted in your individual differences or your uniqueness, but is common to um, spirit or awareness or however you want to call it, the human condition. And I think it's like meeting your soul. And I don't think souls are men or women and souls aren't Haitian or Irish. Uh, souls are just fellow souls. And I really rather meet you. That's the way I feel I'm talking to you now. You and I are fellow souls looking at the dance of life. And you're saying, well, I'm Haitian and Irish in the, my incarnation. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've gotten caught in it at times when other people ask me questions. But I'm working on remembering that I'm a soul. And uh, it's fun to talk to you as a fellow soul. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome, my dear. Thanks for calling. John, good evening. Ram Das, good evening. Good evening. It is a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you, John. Listen, first of all, I, I just wanted to say that, uh, and I, gosh, I don't know quite how to put it in words, but uh, it's just so good to hear your love over the radio. Hmm. It's, uh, ah, I'll just leave it at that. It takes one to know it, no one. So what well, you're hearing is what you are. So. Well, thanks. It's, uh, <laughs> God, I mean, you just articulate so many things that have been kind of swirling around inside my my mind and soul for a long time, and uh, I want to thank you for that also. And uh, so, uh, well, I got a manifold question, so hopefully I can keep this brief so you can get some time to answer it. It has to do um, with the idea of finding a guru. Mm. Uh, 
I've been uh, involved with um, an organization here in uh, Southern California. And two things have passed through my mind. And one is there's this, there's this concept that says, well, we're all part of God, right? Mm-hmm. And yet we're all supposed to find, I shouldn't say we're all, I feel as though uh, I should be finding a spiritual leader to guide me, to assist me in my spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. And yet when I sit, for instance, and they, they do offer uh, Sunday services, I um, I find myself feeling very uncomfortable because I, I get the same feelings I got when I was in um, a Christian-based church when I was a child. Like, this is the one and only way, and if you don't follow our way, you're never going to find your path to the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. And um, I always thought that was kind of odd, but... Uh, I guess that's it, it's one is is that uncomfortable uncomfortableness that I'm feeling with that, and also I, I, I'm having a hard time surrendering the idea, at least as far as I know it, of quite how to put it. Maybe it's the ego, um, kind of giving up a power or a something inside of myself to another person who supposedly has the answers. Do you follow me? Yeah, I'm hearing it all. So, um, that's kind of a manifold question. Okay, I got it. So that's Uh, where I'm at. Good, thank you, John. Um, Because you're talking about um, your childhood experiences of the the church and of the only wayness, and you're also talking about gurus or teachers. You're also acknowledging at different times in yourself the fact that you you are on a path going somewhere and another moment you are already there you <laughs> you're already done you are one with god you are you are the thing itself then we, why is it for instance if if i can connect with you and i can say that you are articulating all the things that i'm feeling yeah now why is it that i have to go out and and it's as though i need an external source to say you're okay well yeah i i think that all of us we have all been socialized and acculturated and we all have we all developed um separate identities ego structures and these ego structures were based in in some part on us um i don't know how to say it not being enough would be one way of saying it or being needing something from the environment in order to uh, to realize our our highest happiness or our fulfillment. And when I grew up, I was very little, and I as you were, and I was in a world of very big forces. And I learned how to play with those forces and to look to the power that other people had in order to get what I wanted. And in a way, that model is a model we bring into adulthood. And I remember when I grew up, my father always impressed upon me to know important, wealthy, and powerful people because they would help me. And then when I got into spiritual work, there was the idea of the guru. And uh, what I saw as I got into the world of meeting 
uh, uh, spiritual beings of great profundity and wisdom was that it wasn't that they did something to you or for you. They were more like a doorway or a mirror through which you could see where you weren't or you could see your own journey or you could see something. They were, they were a presence that allowed you to resonate with a presence within yourself. And I've, I never felt in my relation to my guru to, in, in India, I never felt that he was asking me to surrender to him. I didn't feel that it was one human being asking for surrender to another human being. He was surrendered to the same thing that I was surrendering to. And he was merely a doorway through which I was moving towards that thing. And ultimately, what it is, is the surrendering of your separate identity into the part of you that is the totality. So it is a surrendering of one part of yourself to another part of yourself. Now, some people really are very attracted to, the, to dualism, to the form of seeing the beauty and the power and the grace and the greatness in an external form, whether it's, it's Jesus or it's Mary or it's Krishna or Ram or the Buddha or whatever. And they see the, this greatness and they keep moving towards it. These are often very devotional people. And they fall, They have, what, as I was talking to that girl earlier, about relationship and romance. They actually start out in a very romantic way of emotionally relating to, to God in form, to some form. And then as that devotion gets deeper and deeper, the quality of it changes until they're experiencing being in the presence with their beloved. And it's like a breathless moment of, it tastes so sweet. And then there's another moment where at, the pri at, at an appropriate time, like a snake shedding its skin, there's a kind of a falling away of the separateness with the beloved, and there's more of the orgasmic moment of just isness or ecstasy, ecstasis out of the static. It's just a liquid presence at that moment. And actually... As you keep cultivating all of these parts of your being, you are the seeker and you are that which is sought. And uh, I think that you shouldn't get into too heavy a model about gurudom. And anybody that asks you to surrender to them, I would really, I'd be very skeptical unless your intuitive heart said, go, go, go. But I listened very carefully. Because I've noticed in the past when I've gotten hooked on some teacher that had some power that I wanted or something, mm -hmm. I knew deep in my intuitive heart that I was conning myself or making a pact that I didn't really want to be in. And I knew it, but I didn't want to admit it. Thank you, my dear. That's a good conversation. Hi, Jerry. Good Hi. evening. I will try to speak as clear, clearly as I can. Okay. As I was finding out I wasn't dying. Ah, uh, I know it sounds weird. And I was getting my faculties back. Yes. Uh, when I was matriculating with the other people, 
in similar situations. Yes. I met the people I would come to be friends with and like the most were the ones who were dying quickly. Uh-huh. And they would say nobody would talk to them about it. Right. And I had heard you. Mm. And I don't know if I said... I, I tried to remember what you said, but I knew they had to speak. Mm-hmm. And we talked, and they felt scared, but they felt better. Sure, you listened to them. Yes. Yes. And uh, mm. we joke about it and not joke about it mm-hmm. and the seriousness of it. But when they died, I still was upset. Sure. And I still miss them, mm-hmm. and they were my favorite people, uh, my favorite disabled people. Of course, I understand that. I hear both sides of that coin, that it was all right that they died, and it's also very painful because you got attached and you missed them. But oh, the fact like- that what you offered them and what you love about them was that it was such a, a kind of a straight, clear, that. truthful relationship in which when you listened and they felt heard, then you both entered into a space of really great truth that wasn't full of deception rooted in the fear of death. And we could have fun and explore. Yeah. And a week's relationship, I realized one person I knew only a week, it seemed like I knew him forever. Jerry, it only takes a minute. It only takes a minute. And all, all, when you meet another person and it moves into such an intense presence, a minute is a lifetime. There's no time. There's no measure any longer. And then you're amazed. I've only known that person a week and they've gone and I miss them. And I didn't even know them a week ago. Isn't that extraordinary? And yet the taste that you've had with them is one of such shared love and shared presence it's it's quite a gift uh, the highest thing i do is hang out with people that are dying <laughs> thank you my dear very much for calling in it's been great talking to you, you and too. dream okay dear bye you are listening to kpfk and the number is 818-985-5735 this is Here and Now with Ramdas, talk radio from the heart. We'll be back shortly. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.